moving into our series we're doing for five weeks, I think, called Broken. Who knows broken things aren't good? You, you break a bone, that's a bad deal. Broken economy, bad deal. There, there, there are so many things that, that it's hard to attribute something good to being broken. When I was a teenager, it was early teens, my parents both worked full time and my brother and I, we had the house to ourselves over, over the summer and we just kind of had free reign. And my, my buddy Brian was over and we, were, we had these old red couches from the early 80s. You remember those couches that came out that had like tons of different colors and patterns going on. It had reds, it had browns, and it had whites. It was, it was a wild looking couch and we had, uh, we had pillows from that couch and they were small and round and nice and tight. And you could get some real zip on that if you're throwing it at your buddy. You know what I'm saying? And so we're throwing these across the room. And, and we're using the, uh, the recliners to duck and cover. It's, it's like playing paintball. There's quite a bit of warfare going on. And one of us ran behind those recliners. And in between those recliners was an end table with this ornate deer lamp. Right? Well, as you can imagine, there was a casualty that day, and it wasn't any, anybody, it was the deer lamp. And we're, we're all just gathered around staring at the lamp, thinking, what, what do we do now? I am in deep, deep trouble. So we find the glue. You guys ever done that? You're like, I can fix this. Who knows, you can never put something back like that the way it was. You can't do it, especially a, a, a couple of 13-year-old boys. It was a recipe for disaster. But yet when we come into church and we talk about being broken, we say it like it's a good thing. And so, like, in our minds, it can be this mixed signal. It's like, hey, wait a second, you know, you're telling me I, I, I need to be broken, or you're saying we're broken people as a, as a good thing, but yet everything I attribute to being broken is bad. And I believe that many people in this room are broken, and you come in here either broken by the world, or you are here broken by God. And I'd argue both forms of brokenness are good because it gives us a chance to draw closer to God and fall into his will. There's two forms of brokenness. The first one is, is from our sin and the world. The second form is that that brokenness that causes us to bow before God's throne because of his goodness. It's the presence of God in our lives that can break us. Now, I, I, I was raised in church. I knew right from wrong. I knew the Bible. What I didn't know was that I was not experiencing a true relationship with God. I didn't really know what that looked like. I followed all the ins and outs of the belief system, 
But I didn't have that relationship. And I, I was living a double life. You know, I, I was a good kid on Sundays and Wednesdays. But outside of here, I was a hellion. And I, I, I say that, and I, I don't want to paint a picture that I was a really bad kid. Because even my parents will say that I wasn't. But, you know, I did my fair share of cussing. I did my fair share of stealing. And over time, God used these things that were drawing me away from him to feel the punishment of sinning against him. I'd do something wrong, I'd get caught. And all of a sudden, I'd also have this deep conviction partnered with it. And that even though at the time doing these things were tempting, I begin to see the pain behind what I was doing. So what we're going to do is today we're going to look through the eyes of the minor prophet Micah. And in this passage, he recognized that Israel was being punished for their past sin. But he was calling on the Lord and he was clinging to the truth that they were still God's people. So I want you to turn to Micah chapter 7 verses 8 through 9. Micah 7, 8 through 9. And the verses that we're going to read today are through the eyes of Israel after it comes to repentance. So Micah chapter 7, verse 8 and 9, I'm going to begin. He says, do not gloat over me, my enemies. For though I fall... I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will be patient as the Lord punishes me. Everyone say, punishes me. For I have sinned against him. But after that, he will take up my case and give me justice. Everyone say, justice. For all I have suffered from my enemies. The Lord will bring me into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we read this, and it, it, we read it as someone who's in a complicated spot. Someone who has felt punished by you, but who's also had enemies that have stood against them, and they've gloated in this punishment. And God, I believe that each and every one here, Lord, has, has felt brokenness. And not maybe to this equivalent, but God, in this room are people who have experienced pain from their own choices. Pain from the world, Father. But Lord, we know that if we call on your name, we can stand in victory. And Lord, I pray that we have people in this church who are willing to call on the name of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, since the beginning of time, man has had what we call the fall. And in the fall, there is a human element involved, and there, there's no part of God that is involved in our fall. Amen? Amen? It, we, we, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about Adam and Eve and how their natural desires came out and they sinned against God. 
And I want to be very clear about something because this is very in vogue for, for the time that we're living in, that just because we are born with a natural desire does not mean that it is good or okay. Are you hearing me? Psalm 51, 5 through 6. Hear, hear David's words. For I was born a sinner... Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Church, there's some things that we just absolutely have to accept. God is perfect. And being perfect, God has a standard that, that we are his creation and he wants us to be in the presence of him. But in order for us to truly experience his full presence, we need to be covered in righteousness in order to stand before the throne of God. If we are with sin, we cannot go before his throne. You hearing me? I want to be very clear about how I lay this out. But we know that even those who are in the righteousness of God are still tempted. We know that people do sin. They fall short of the glory of God as Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says. And we wrestle with desires to sin, don't we? We wrestle with that all the time. We should all have that in common. And these desires, they're so enticing that it can, it can deceive us into believing it's good when it does bring us true brokenness and eventual destruction. So we as people, we, we have this struggle between our spirit nature and our fleshly nature. Now, I want again, we need to lay this out. It is the flesh that craves sin and what happens is God's spirit speaks to our spirit to warn us against these desires and convict us when we have given in to them. And the trouble that we must accept is even good people who love the Lord have fallen into sin. They sin. And so the trouble that Micah is facing is, as he's pointing to Jerusalem and the children of Israel, is that here you have the children of God, like God's own special people, and they have seen miracle after miracle occur, and what happens is that they let their guard down, they find things that are enticing, and then they invite it into their lives, and next thing you know, generation after generation, they slip further and further away from God. To now where they've been turned over, they've been held captive by enemies because God saw them withdraw, so they lost his favor. These are people, they know God. They've heard the stories. They've heard about the miracles. But they fall away from God because they are embracing things that stand contrary to his law. Now throughout the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, the book of Judges, we read that throughout history, God had to judge Israel for their behavior. What would happen is it, it was this terrible cycle that they would be punished for their sin, they'd go back to the Lord, over time they'd forget about their history and they'd repeat all over again. 
But church, I want to tell you that if you look through history, and the, the, the Bible's a great teacher in that way, just in reading history, no matter how sin presents itself to you, it will break you, or God will. I want to read for you Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 2 through 10. Jeremiah 18, 2 through 10. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. He says, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. Can God not take that jar that is not forming the way he wants it to and smash it back down into a lump of clay. He can do it. Now, people would not give in to sin if it didn't seem fun, right? If it wasn't tempting, no one would do it. And when we sin, what we don't realize we are doing is we are ignoring the Holy Spirit and the Holy Sp- and God as a result, he distances himself from us. And then all of a sudden in our lives there's this downward spiral that occurs by not following God's law. Now that downward spiral at first it might start with grief but we ignore it. It could turn to anger against the church or those who point it out when we do it. And then you and I, like if we're engulfed in sin, then we might walk in offense believing that others are against us, which they're not. They're against us doing wrong. Does that make sense? They're not against us. And then sometimes then the church or other believers are blamed for the reason that they're that way. I carry a hurt against the church. And guys, I am warning you, and if you're in a good place right now, you need to write this down to remind yourself when you're in a bad place. That is another trick of Satan's to create distance between you and an opportunity to return back to God. Then there can also be an apathy or a callousness that occurs in church, what I am telling you is this. Unrepentant sin opens the door to a hardened heart. I want you to hear that again. Unrepentant sin opens the door to a hardened heart. I want to read for you Romans 2.5. It says, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. 
For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Church, I'm telling you, if you find yourself in this place, all these signs point to us not living with an eternal perspective, but an earthly one. We're only living from day to day. But here's the thing. When we give in to sin, sinning once, just sinning once, never satisfies. Those desires, they only increase. So if you say that I'm just going to give in just this once, those desires become greater and greater and greater. And usually when you get to this place where you find yourself needing more, desiring more, never being enough, and giving in to sin, that's when you eventually fall. You find a bottom and you hit it really hard. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David, he had committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. He got her pregnant, and what he decided to do is he was going to manipulate her husband, who was at war, to come back and sleep with his wife so that he could think it was his child. What David didn't realize is that that this guy, he was a man of valor, and there was no way that he was going to go back and sleep with his wife when his his. The rest of his army is out there fighting. And so here he is at the king's palace, and he's like, I cannot go home. So now all of a sudden, David, he's in this quandary. And so David sends him back, decides to put him on the front line where he knows he'll be killed. Well, it's there he's killed, and the next thing you know, God reveals this to a close confidant and a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan decides he's going to go to David, and he's going to confront him. And I want you to listen to David's response after the prophet Nathan confronts him. This is 2 Samuel 12, 13. It says, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. You want, if you want to understand the full context of this, here you have David, a guy who has gone to war many times, seen many victories, and could take out anyone he wanted to take out or let live anyone he wanted to let live. It could be so easy in his position to have a prideful heart, especially when you've been trying to cover up this huge, massive sin that David has been trying to cover up. And so now Nathan is approaching David, and I I have to only assume that, that Nathan is walking in with this boldness, but this humility, knowing that God is with him. And also knowing how powerful of a man David is, and wondering what on earth is going to occur when I confront him. And David immediately responded in repentance. And the way we know this is not just by his words, but how Nathan responds when he says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. That forgiveness would never occur if David was not repentant. 
Now, I know that there are some that go out there and, and they sin and they sin well, and they are impervious to the fall. Like, there is, there, there is not a fall out there that is too hard. But what happens is that over time, most realize they can't keep doing the one thing that is hurting them and others so greatly. We know that sin can ruin friendships, jobs, relationships with family. But when people awaken to their destructive behavior, with God, they can turn it around. Without God, many turn from one sin to another. They find another vice. But the brokenness in these times, this is the key here, the brokenness in these times helps awaken us to search for a way out. Church, I'm telling you today, Jesus Christ is that way. Jesus Christ is that way. And what occurs is that we can rise up out of this despair, out of this brokenness, and God can restore us as we read in Micah chapter 7 verse 9. You and I, what happens is we abandon God with our choices. He does not abandon us. He does not abandon us. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. That even when your enemies are at the doorstep ready to take you down, God doesn't abandon you. And he doesn't abandon you when you reach out for him. He's going to be there. And what God does is he's going, to, he's going to send people, he's going to use situations to remind you that he is there. Now I want to clear up what repentance is. Repentance is not you deciding, I want to be in God's good graces for the day. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask him to forgive me for that thing that I know is wrong because his word says it's wrong. I'm going to pray so I can be forgiven. So if, I, if, if something happens, if an accident befalls me, next thing you know, yeah, I'm dead here on earth, but I wake up, I'm in heaven. Many people also treat that as a clean slate to continue sinning. Repentance is a regret of the past, removing the sin and moving forward set free. It is a desire in our hearts to go and sin no more, to never pick that thing up again. In fact, Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness, saying that, that only a fool will keep returning and picking up that sin once they have been offered so great a salvation as Jesus Christ. Because when we keep on sinning, knowing what Jesus Christ has done, it openly mocks him. And it separates us from God. But church, here is the reward. Justice comes for those who claim Christ. Micah 7, 9. 
He says, I will be patient as the Lord punishes me for I have sinned against him. But after that, he will take up my case and give me justice for all I have suffered from my enemies. The Lord will bring me into the light and I will see his righteousness. Church, you will not be able to stand before God's throne on your own merit. You are going to need the blood of Jesus Christ. And it comes to you through repentance. And what happens is when you claim Christ, Christ marks us for eternity and you and I can stand before God's throne rightly because of what Jesus has done and his finished work on the cross. Through that, you are going to get freedom over addiction. You're going to get freedom over your sin. You are going to get freedom from everything you have ever done. So we as believers, it is important for us to no longer live in a state of constant regret because we are set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? That's key. Because many of you walk around with this behavior like you're still living in your past sin. Are you set free or are you not? Live as free men and women. You know, when we get older, when we get far enough removed from sin, there's a perspective that begins to occur. Because what happens is when we're mired in sin, we're in the middle of sin, it's a false perspective of who God is. I know that when I was mired in sin, we might think that God doesn't care. He doesn't care what I do. Or you might think, God's not here. I can go on doing whatever it is I want to do. Or conviction can make us feel so bad about that thing that we're doing that we think, oh, he's just a vengeful vengeful God that wants to judge people. And what happens is when you're in that sin, it causes us to view everything with this lens that is from that temporal point of view, that earthly point of view. And so we're seeing things with this perspective of death is being on the horizon. Fear might creep in and, and it shuts out the Spirit of God completely. And even though you might have a knowledge of who God is, when you're mired in sin, we look at life with this expiration date. But church, I'm telling you, Eventually, sin will break you. It will. I believe everyone in this room has a sin battle. We don't all have the same battle, but there there is a sin that is always enticing us. There's some sort of temptation that's always lingering in us, trying to offer something that's better, and it's not. My sin and battle over the course of my life has been pornography. And that sin, it took a long time to break me. And you know, when, when I was a teenager, I was, I was trapped in this state of lust and I was convinced that when I was dating, I wouldn't need it anymore. I thought, well, when I start dating, it won't even be a desire then it progressed that when, when I'm engaged, that desire will no longer be there. Or when I'm married, that will surely fix it. 
And what happens is that sin, it just, the can kept getting kicked down the road over and over and over again to where it just kept going further and further progressively into my life where eventually I said to myself, well, eventually that day you have kids. It won't be a problem anymore. One day, early in our marriage, Wendy found evidence that I had a problem. And the hardest part is in those moments that tr- trying to convince that, that person that you love so much that has nothing to do with them. But what I realized was I was mired in sin and mostly addiction. When it was discovered, I was in shame. Didn't want to look at her. Definitely didn't want to tell others. But I couldn't escape the truth anymore that I had a problem and that thing that I thought was hidden was not so hidden. I wasn't just hurting myself. I was hurting my wife. Those were hard years. Those were hard years where I had a hard time looking in the mirror. And you know, it's funny, I was, I was reflecting on all that this week because it's, it's a distant memory now. But if it wasn't for that broken moment in my life and God's light shining on me in a very dark moment, I wouldn't be where I am today. He shines down on us no matter what kind of shame we're mired in, no matter what kind of sin we're mired in. He shines down this this righteousness that can only come from his throne. And when you and I, when we seek God in all he has for us, what happens is the closer we get to God, the more broken we become. This is the really cool thing about God, guys, because here we are, we're thinking about, well, when am I going to be rebuilt? When am I going to be fixed? And what I discovered is the more I get to know God, the more he breaks me for the things that, that, that break him, and the more I understand who God is, that where I come in and I worship, and I just want to fall down before him. I no longer feel like I'm complete. I'm broken before him, and it is only in him that I am complete. Listen to John 15, 4 through 5. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, I'm telling you, this is, this is the secret. True brokenness before God occurs in our worship. True brokenness before God occurs in our confession of sin. True brokenness before God is represented in us bowing down before the throne of God with humility. And what happens is he breaks us down even further because he knows, man, this flesh, this flesh is filthy. This flesh is dirty. This flesh needs broken down and it fights against the things of the spirit all the time. So God, what he continues to do is break that flesh down over time. 
Listen to what David said in Psalm 51.17. He says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And the closer you get to God, He'll break you for the world. He'll break you for the world. Because God has a heart that longs for people to come to Him. And and I pray that we all have that same compassion. A world that comes to know who God is. That we are to be so moved by the heart of God that we're broken before His throne. Church, I'm going to say that. To be moved by the heart of God is to be broken before His throne. You and I are made righteous when everything is stripped away. God is going to take that clay and He's going to smash it down. He's going to reform us into who He wants us to be. I'm going to ask that everyone in here, you bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to present to you an opportunity today. See, brokenness, get out, of, get out of your mind that it's a bad thing. Brokenness before God is a good thing. It's a blessing. And so God's Spirit, He might be breaking you over the things that you have done He might be breaking you over the things that break his heart. I don't know, but here's what I know. That God, the the, the closer I get to him, the more I learn to repent for the things that I have done because I so desperately want to pursue his righteousness. Which comes through his son who is perfect. And I realize I of my own volition, do not possess any of that. It is only by the grace of God that I can stand before his throne. The minor prophet Micah, Micah was speaking on behalf of a nation. He was prophesying over a nation. He was crying for repentance over a nation. A man who lived his life seeking to honor God was a man who was about repentance. Sometimes coming to that point of repentance is not easy. But I'm telling you, the mature believer repents and they repent quickly. They know where their forgiveness lies. It does not lie in the forgiveness of man. It does not lie in their own heart. It lies in the throne room of God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I desire to walk in repentance. I desire to be broken. Would you raise your hand? Praise God. 
You know what? There's enough of us. Let's just stand right now. Let's just stand. God, those who raise their hands this morning, Father. Lord, you desire a broken spirit. Your servant David said, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. And standing before you right now, God, are hearts that are repentant. God, we cry out not only for ourselves, but we cry out for a nation that doesn't even know what it's doing, Father. God, as we're getting ready to approach Independence Day, I can't help but look around and say, these people don't know what true independence is. Lord, true independence lies in you, Father. And God, I pray that we as the body of Christ, we discover that for ourselves first, that God, we cling to this independence, this freedom that we have in you. And God, we are made righteous because of you. And so Lord, for those that raise their hands today, God, I pray that forgiveness rain down. And God, that our hearts be broken for you and what you have done for us. God, it's already been broken by the world. But Lord, now it can be broken for the things of you. God, give these people a freedom. Lord, a peace that is so great that they no longer keep their eyes focused on the ground because of the things that they have done. They no longer look down when they walk past a mirror, but they look at their own reflection. And Father, they see children of the living God. And God, they see clay that is being remade. It is being formed into what you want it to be, Father. I thank you and praise you, God, that you can take that clay and, God, you can smash it back down and you can make it into what you need it to be. Lord, I thank you for second chances. I praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.